Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. You know, uh, as we were as we were praying uh, over the Covington family, really it made me think. Uh, I'm exceptionally thankful to God that we live in the country that we live in. Now, when I, when I say that, I don't want to overshadow. Uh, I mean, I want you to know that as proud as I am that God has placed me in America at this time, I am even more thankful, even like it doesn't even compare thankful that I'm a part of a, of a kingdom that will never end. And I'm a citizen of a king uh, and of a kingdom that will never fade away. But when I think about the country that he's placed us in, I am so thankful. You know, when you, when you look at the United States of America, we are, we are really unique. We have a, a system of checks and balances uh, that, uh, that are just wonderful. I mean, uh, every, every uh, section of the government uh, has to answer to the other, the legislative branch and the judicial branch and the executive branch. All of these work together uh, uh, to ensure that there are checks and balances, that there's no one uh, portion of the government that, sh- that should have more power than the other. And I love that as Americans, we have the opportunity to hold politicians accountable. Boy, that, if ever there was a spot to say amen, that might have been it. You missed it. I'm telling you, you I'll tell you what, I'm going to rewind it just a little bit. I'm going to play it again because you guys aren't on your amen game, all right? We're going to have to fix this. Okay, a lot of pastors say amen a lot in church because they're trying to get to amen. I ain't going to do that. You got to step up your amen game, you know, but I'm, I thank God. I'm rewinding. I'm going to give you another option, okay? I thank God that we as Americans are allowed to hold our politicians to account. Amen. There we go. There we go. And y'all just keep that rolling throughout the service, all right? Amen. I, I'm so thankful that, that we're able to do that. You know, all governments that have accountability of some sort have people and have governments that thrive. But, you know, governments with no account are a terror. Despots and dictators rule unchecked. I think right now, and I think I have a picture, Aiden, if you'll follow along with me there. I think of uh, the regimes of Hitler and of Stalin and of Mussolini. I think of Castro and Kim Jong-un and Chavez. I think of places where dictators rule unchecked. And regardless of how they want to be portrayed here, you can see that 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 type of place where there is zero accountability lends itself to devastation, to chaos, and to death. And so now I'd like to invite you to meet me in the fifth chapter of Nehemiah where Nehemiah is going to demonstrate for us the importance of accountability, where he's going to show us how to keep one another accountable the proper way. And the scripture is very, very clear on this, that we as a church, that we as brothers and sisters should keep one another accountable. Enough with this idea that has, that has, that has just infiltrated the church that, that is based off this verse that's taken out of context, oh, just don't judge me. And, and then you're not going to be judged. All that's taken out of context. We, we, we should keep one another accountable. And you'll find that churches that are being used by God are churches filled with brothers and sisters that are holding one another accountable. 
We have a lot of verses to cover today, chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. And so uh, let's go ahead and just ask the Lord to bless this time and move that to the title slide, please. We're going to go ahead and ask God to bless this time uh, together, and then we'll, we'll dig right in. Father in heaven, please use me right now and use your word for your glory. Father, please speak through me to your people. Show us the need Show us how to be accountable to one another. Father, I know there are people in here today who have never called upon Jesus as Lord. Father, if I say, if I encourage the church on how to be accountable, and those people in here who have never responded to the gospel don't hear it, Lord, I'd be so ashamed. So, Lord, I pray you help me to clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ today as I speak your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Three words are going to move the text forward. Three words I want you to write down in your uh, Bible as you're taking notes or write down in your notes. Three words we're going to use that Nehemiah will use uh, uh, to help us be accountable to one another and that help Nehemiah keep the people around him accountable. And we're going to find the first word found in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5. And that word is identify identify verses 1 through 5 look with me now in verse uh, verses 1 through 5 with the immediate threat of attack subsided from chapter 4 we we come to Nehemiah chapter 5 and in verses 1 through 5 we read this now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers for there were those who said with our sons and daughters we are many so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive Verse 3, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. In verse 4, and there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it for other men have our fields and our vineyards. Now look just one more verse over, verse 6. Nehemiah says, And I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Nehemiah is able to identify the problem fairly easy. You see, uh, with, with a threat of invasion having come to an end, at least for the moment, God's people get back to work on this wall that they must get done. And so they're working hard and they're, they're sacrificing their time. We learned last week that they were devoted to the cause. From the time the sun rose in the morning until the, they could see the stars at night, they were working on this wall. And so we, we find that often when we are busy at God's work, problems begin to reveal themselves. It's rare that when we are busy at God's work that problems are, are, are uh, begin, but really problems manifest themselves. They're often revealed as we get to work at, at God's work. And that's the case here in Nehemiah chapter 5 and verses 1 through 5. They're working hard on this wall, and there are three complaints that comes to Nehemiah's ears. They all stem from the fact that the rich are oppressing the poor of Jerusalem. And their problems are, are threefold. Really, the first is, Nehemiah, we don't, we don't have any food to feed our children. 
Uh, we've got a lot of children, and, and, and as we're working on this wall, we, we have no food to give to them. We've devoted all of our time to this wall, and now we have no food. And then, and then the second thing that is brought to Nehemiah's attention is that their lands are being mortgaged to buy food. And, and then the third thing is the poor are selling themselves and their children into slavery to pay the high interest that the nobles of Jerusalem were putting on them. By the way, a practice that the Old Testament forbids. He tells the people of Jerusalem, God tells the people, you see it in Exodus 22, verses 25 through 27. It's in, it's in uh, every book in the uh, uh, Pentateuch, or excuse me, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, God's people were not to charge interest to God's people. And that was, that was to prevent the poor from being taken advantage of uh, during this time. And, and so what's happening here is the nobles are taking advantage of the poor people. And they're, they're uh, lending them money, but they are charging them interest. Now, Nehemiah is able to identify this as wrong. Why? Because it felt wrong? You know, we're not able to identify what is wrong and right by how we feel. You know that, church? We're not able to identify what is right and wrong by how we feel. The world identifies what is right and wrong by how they feel. It's completely subjective. Right and wrong is, is, is about what makes you feel right and what makes you feel wrong. But we can understand that just because you lose your temper with somebody or just because you're angry with somebody doesn't mean that you have the right, doesn't mean that it is right to take out your anger on somebody. This world believes right and wrong is dictated upon the heart and what we feel is good. But Nehemiah is able to identify what is right and wrong because he is familiar with the Scripture. You see, if we rely on ourselves, that we, we, we find ourselves in a bad situation. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to man, but the end result is death. If we're going to be a church that holds one another accountable, if we're going to be a church that pushes one another toward Jesus, we cannot keep one another accountable based upon how we feel. Well, I don't like that music. Or, well, I don't like the way that they did this based upon our preferences and based upon our feelings. We don't know right and wrong based upon our feelings. Jeremiah 17, 9 will say, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? You cannot Find out what is right and what is wrong by how you feel. Your conscience won't do that. Your conscience is scarred. Oh, what did Jimmy Cricket say? Let your conscience be your guide. Well, I hope that you're not doing that because you'll do a whole lot of awful things when that is the, the case. Nehemiah is able to tell between right and wrong because he is familiar with Scripture. And by the way, church, let me just say, this book right here, the Bible, is what tells us what is right and what is wrong. It does not matter what society feels what is right and what is wrong. It doesn't matter. Listen, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. It does not matter if this hurts anybody's feelings because what God says is right has always been right and will always be right. And what God has said is wrong was not just for a certain time many, many years ago, but what he says is wrong morally, he says is wrong now and forever will be. 
And boy, I tell you, it, it's painful. And, and sometimes you don't want to hurt people's feelings. I understand that. But, but folks, let me tell you something. If we're going to keep one another accountable, this has to be our God. God's word, what he says is right and what he says is wrong is our source for knowing the difference. In Psalm 119, in verse 160, the psalmist says, the sum of your word is truth. All of your word is truth. It's what tells me between right and wrong. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Friends, if we're going to keep one another accountable, you have to know this word. Now, I know I say, I say, hey, we need to keep one another accountable. And a lot of you, you're like, man, that don't feel good. Have you ever been held to account? Yep. Are you married? Okay. Yeah. You, you've been held to account at some point in time in your life. You have to be held to account if you want to change, if you want to be right. You have to be held to account. And if we as a church want to grow and see Jesus grow in us, we have to hold one another to account. And if you're going to do that, you have to know the Word. You have to know what is right and what is wrong, not based upon feelings, but upon the Word. John chapter 17, verses 16 and 7 Jesus is praying and he says, they are not of the world just as, not, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Listen, brothers and sisters, I don't know that you grasp the importance of knowing and cherishing God's word. Nehemiah understood God's word and he is able to see what is clearly being done as wrong. He's able to paint this in black and white. This is not this gray area that the world often speaks of. He's able to see at Scripture. He's able to see Scripture and see that the practice of God's people is wrong. But being able to identify between right and wrong means nothing if we are unwilling to address it. Number two, if you're taking notes, we're going to find in verses 6 through 11, Nehemiah teaches us that if we're to be a part of a work that God does that is epic, that is great, we can't just know between right and wrong, know the difference, but we must address right and wrong. In verse 6, he begins saying how he responded to the wrong that is, that is going, how he's going to address this. And he says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself. Nehemiah is going to teach us three ways that we can address wrongdoing. The first thing he says is, you've got to address it cautiously. What was Nehemiah's response? How did he feel about the wrongdoing? Anyone paying attention? Angry. He was angry. Hey, listen, church, the church is filled with people who aren't angry at wrongdoing. We're passive about it. It's okay. It's how they feel. Constant excuses. We need to be a group of people. You need to be a group of people who are angry when sin is cherished. Angry when sin is tolerated. Because when sin is tolerated, when there's no accountability, people are oppressed. People are in pain. 
And so Nehemiah says, I was very angry. I looked at the lives that this was affecting, this wrongdoing was robbing people of lives. It was robbing people of their well-being. They were, they were mortgaging everything they had. They were selling their kids into slavery just so that they could eat. There's something wrong with that. And so he is angry. And let me tell you something, church, we ought to be angry when sin is involved. Stop tolerating sin in your life first. And then in this world, we should be angry at sin, not laugh it off. Our hearts ought to be disturbed. And so his reaction is he's angry uh, at their outcry and their words in verse 7. So I took counsel with myself. Nehemiah understood something that we very often forget. He understood the principles that would be stated in James chapter 1 in verses 19 through 20 many years later when James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, a lot of uh, Facebook warriors out there, we get angry. You go on there and say how you feel. Listen, your anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Can I get an amen or an oh me? Some of you just said, I'm not tithing today. That may, I hurt my feelings, you know. Uh, we ought to approach things cautiously. Why? Because Josh's anger will not produce God's righteousness. Nehemiah understood. He was angry and he needed to go cool off and think about this for a moment before he reacted the way he wanted to react. Because I got a feeling that Nehemiah and I are a lot alike. And Nehemiah would have been like, hey, we're going to get all of the wealthy people together who are oppressing you. And I'm going to take care of this right now. WWE style. We're going to get physical. We're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you why you need to trust me. That's not what he does. He takes a step back. He breathes. He thinks about it. He prays about it. What is the proper way? When we address sin within the church, it's clear in the New Testament, you ought to do it cautiously. What does, what does uh, the Bible say? Jesus says in, in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 6, he says, judge not lest you be judged, and then we all stop there. That sounds good. Don't hold one another to account. You don't judge me. I don't judge you. We don't try to help one another out at all. That all sounds good. But then he goes on to say that we must, he says, I know you're, you're judging them. You're looking at the speck in their eye when you have a plank in your own. But then he says, remove the plank in your eye. So that you can see to remove the speck in his eye. He doesn't say just don't do that. He says address here first. Address the heart first. And I got a feeling that when Nehemiah heard about the sin that was going on, when he got angry, he stepped back and he said, God, is there any way in my life that I'm doing the same things? Because if I'm going to go to these your people and tell them that your word says that this is wrong, I want to make sure I got a heart check. I want to make sure I got this right. I want to make sure I'm living right. What matters to Josh Hall more important than, than you hearing a good sermon every Sunday is that that sermon is preached to me first. You know how many times I've come up here and I've said, man, God has whipped me all week long over this passage. I mean, I have, I have not been doing this right. I'm reading this passage and I'm saying, oh, Lord, please forgive me. How can I say this to your people when Josh get this right? Josh changed this. Josh, work on this and then preach to my people. 
how, how, how this has affected you, how, how this should affect them. Nehemiah does so cautiously, but he also does it courageously. He addresses sin courageously, not timidly. I'm really sorry, you guys, but the interest that you're charging, uh, I know you've got to make some money, <laughs> you know, you're the nobles and all. What does he do? He does it courageously. Look in verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Verse 7, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. Nehemiah speaks frankly with them. He speaks boldly with them. As Christians, we have mixed the difference between being kind and being nice. The scripture commands us to be kind, which means our words ought to have kindness attached to them. Kindness means I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm going to do it in a gentle way. Niceness means I'm just going to make you feel good. You know, forget, you know, uh, for, forget how uh, anything that may be wrong with you, I'm just going to be nice. Oh, that, that looks so good today or, you know, whatever, whatever our southern niceness is. The Bible commands us to be kind and courageous. And so he, he speaks this truth to them courageously. So much so that they could not say a word. Paul did the same thing in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Peter, the, the, the head of all the apostles, who was, if anyone was something in the New Testament church, it would have been Peter. And yet when Peter is being a hypocrite in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. It didn't matter who he was. We ought to be able to call sin, sin, regardless who is doing it. Regardless of their, uh, uh, any financial strings they may have attached to us, regardless of the good or bad they can do to us, we ought to be courageous. And if we are going to be accountable to one another, we need to be cautious in when we address one another, and we ought to be courageous. He also says that we are to address one another correctly. Correctly. Look in verse 9. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? He doesn't say it based upon like any favors. He says, aren't we supposed to be serving the living God here? When we address sin within the church to one another, we do it compassionately. We do it correctly based upon God's word for his glory. Hey, listen, we're brothers and sisters. We're just trying to push one another along closer to Jesus. I, I don't want you to do this so you can be a moral person. I want to address this sin in our lives so that you can honor God with your life. We are to do so correctly. In Galatians 6, in verse 11, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's not popular within the church, 
But when there's sin in the church, when there's sin in the camp, it holds the church back from doing its job. Can I get an amen there? When there was sin in the camp with Joshua and Achan had stolen things that did not belong to him, God refused to give them victory in battle. And yet we think that our sin just affects ourselves. No, brothers and sisters, we are to hold one another to account. We're to do so compassionately in a spirit of gentleness. We're to do it for the right reasons. But we are to address sin in our own lives and to courageously, compassionately, correctly do so in the lives of our brothers and sisters. I've had brothers and sisters in here who said, hey, Josh, listen, what you said at one point in time didn't come off right. Or, hey, Josh, are you you doing this? Accountability partners who remind me to to stay in the Word, not just based upon a, a sermon, but, Josh, stay in the Word so you can have relationship with the Lord. We ought to keep one another accountable. And Nehemiah understood this. But being able to identify the problem through the Scripture and being able to address it boldly means nothing if you don't respond. If you don't respond. Look in verses 10 through 13, and we're going to read the response of the people of Israel. There's really two ways that you can respond. Even today as you hear me speak, uh, what I hope is, is God's, what I know is God's word here. What I, as you hear me, there's two options for you. You can either repent or you can, uh, you can rebel. You can repent and say, I've not been living the life that I ought to. I've not been doing certain things right. Or you can rebel. And we're going to find that God's people here, they repented. Look in verse 10. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and their percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. You see, that would not have happened had he not addressed it. You see, they would have kept, they would have kept doing the wrong thing. And if your brother or sister wants to do the right thing in life, if they want to follow the Lord, then it may hurt when, when you uh, go to them and say, brother or sister, you're doing this, please turn from this. They may be hurt at first, but they're going to be glad that they heard that so that they can change, so they can be right. And these people in Israel, they said, you're right. We got to, we got to stop this. They said in verse 12, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I, Nehemiah, called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. And I also shook out the fold of my garment and I said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they promised. How wonderful here. God's people acting as God's people. I think that sometimes we think we're doing a favor when we don't address sin. You say, hey, he could come right back at me and say this. Yeah, and he should. Because you should stop doing whatever that is that is wrong. We think that we're doing a favor when we sit back and we say, oh, that's just, that's just old Joe. That's just old Jane. That's just the way they are. But we as a church ought to be pushing one another towards Jesus. 
What was the result of their repentance? Uh, I'll tell you what the result of their repentance was. People were now treated fairly. What was wrong had been turned to right. And the congregation praised the Lord when there was repentance. Repentance was not just saying, I'm sorry. They could have said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. And they just keep right on at it. Keep exacting interest. Many people in here today are relying upon a salvation where they just said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry is not the same thing as repentance. I'm so, I'm, it's not. I'm sorry is not the same thing. Repentance is I'm going this way and I turn around and go the other way. I am exacting interest from my brothers. I'm oppressing them and I have decided no longer am I going to do that. I'm now going to go in the way of the word. That is what repentance is. Repentance is I'm no longer going to keep sinning. I'm going to turn from that. It's going to be my desire, my heartbeat to turn from that sin. And I know I may trip up and I know I, know I may fall and I know I may have to to come back and ask forgiveness over this a thousand more times and I may have to keep getting up and turning around but I am turning from this sin and Nehemiah calls them to response he calls them to repentance but there's also the option of rebelling they repented but there are also those who rebel it brings me to Hebrews chapter 3 if you have your Bibles Turn to Hebrews chapter 3, and this is where we will close for the day. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. I know that even in here today, there are those who the Holy Spirit has convicted you of sin in your life, and you have not repented, and you continue to rebel. And to that, the Lord says, from Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Today, if you hear his voice, stop rebelling. Time and time again in Scripture, God illustrates for us the dangers and the pitfalls of rebelling against Him. And His people who are called by His name should not be people who are defined by their rebelling, but by their repenting. We should be people who are constantly repenting, constantly turning, constantly asking God to show us where there is sin hidden in our lives so that we could turn from them. We shouldn't be people who are proud. Oh, yeah? Will you do this? Oh, yeah? Will you do that? We ought to be people who repent, not rebel. And the Lord reminds us in Hebrews chapter 3, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, which brings me to this. There are many in here today who have never repented of their sins and called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that it is given to man once to die, and then comes the judgment. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like the people who never entered the promised land. 
But today, if you hear the sound of his voice, today, if you hear me proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God loves the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for you and for me, and then to be raised from the grave so that all who would repent of their sins and confess Jesus as Lord might not fear death, but would have eternal life. Today, if you hear my voice and you have never repented of your sins, if you, all you've done is rebel, I ask you today to come and speak to me or another counselor during this time of response and invitation. But perhaps you're here today and you have avoided accountability at all costs. Perhaps the Spirit has laid upon your heart to correct things in your own life. And then to go to another brother and sister who's caught in sin and to encourage them and to, and to push them towards Jesus. I want to encourage you to come down to this altar and to pray with me or another counselor. Whatever decision God has laid upon your heart, I pray you be faithful to make that decision today. Will you join me as I bow in prayer? Father in heaven, I give you today, if somehow you are able to work through my mumbling and fumbling, I trust that you've spoken to your people. God, use this time of invitation to bring glory to your name. Father, I pray that lost people will be saved. I pray that those who are yours will be called to a deeper walk with you. God, help us to be a church that is accountable to one another, to draw one another lovingly toward Jesus. Whatever you do during this time of invitation, Lord, during this time of response, I give it all to you, and I'll give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel, and if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.